And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boernes, I messed this up in first service too, uh, Bonerges, that is, son of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And now to verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we come to your word as those who stand on the shoulders of the twelve that are named here, the foundation of the church. We are the beneficiaries of generations of witnesses that have pointed their fingers, their hearts, and their lives at your Son. Father, may we see him this morning, and having been called by him, having been given his own name, O oh God, empower us for your service and send us out so that generations to come might give you glory and praise. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you are old enough to remember when going to Pizza Hut was the highlight of your week? You'd go sit down at the Pac-Man table and play Pac-Man for a little bit while your parents were hitting the salad bar, and then eventually they'd bring out that piping hot pizza in the pan. Man, you, life just didn't get any better than that. I was never really a big video game guy growing up to the great frustration of my poor children today. Uh, the only game that really ever captured my attention was an early version of what was called Sim City. Now, listen to me, Sim City, not Sin City. That's a completely different kind of game. Sim City was a simulation. It allowed you to, to build a, a city, a community from scratch. You could lay out the roads, you could locate utilities, you could figure out where the business district would be and, and where neighborhoods would come up. And interestingly, as I was doing some research on this game this week, I, I found out that the game almost didn't get made because the, the makers brought it to the company that was going to distribute it, that was going to sell it, and the executives thought, this is not going to go anywhere because there's no winner. There, there's no zombie to kill. There's no alien to shoot down. 
But then those same executives played that game and got lost in it. And they found it fascinating. And of course, the rest is history. As Pastor Danny mentioned last week in these early chapters of Mark, Jesus is building something. Jesus is building something new, a new nation. He's building up a new people, a new religious system that doesn't rely on a temple in Jerusalem. It doesn't rely on the law of Moses. It doesn't rely on the sacrificial system. Instead, it's a new creation even that is centered on him. And here in our passage in Mark chapter 3, we see the very first citizens of this new creation. There are 12 of them, and that should clue you in that something is happening. Because there were 12 sons of Jacob who became the foundation for the new nation of Israel that God would bring about all of his promises toward. Well, in the same way, there are 12 disciples here. They will become the foundation of the new creation. This morning, I want to work our way through this passage by asking three questions. First, are you a citizen of the new creation? Second, what is the nature of this creation that God is bringing into being through Jesus? And then third, what is your purpose? If you are a member of this new creation... And after you are here this morning and and you walk out those doors and you get in your cars and you drive away, what does it all mean? What's your purpose? What do you take home with you as your marching orders? So first, let me ask this. Are you a member of this new creation? Are you a citizen of this new creation? Now, some of you probably look at me and think, Eric, that's, that's a dumb question. Isn't it obvious? I am here, and it's cold outside. It would have been so much easier to stay home and drink a mimosa and do a crossword puzzle. Of course I'm a member of the new creation. Well, I don't want to take for granted that everybody that comes into the church on a Sunday morning actually believes in Jesus. Periodically, we have, fairly regularly, we have conversations with people at the door in the courtyard you know why'd you come to redeemer i'm not really sure uh i decided to check it out well where do you normally go to church haven't been to church in 10 years haven't been church in 15 years i think we regularly have guests among us that are trying to figure out what's going on in their own life and in the world around them And they're coming to church because they think that maybe there might be an answer here. Now that certainly needs to affect the way that Danny and John and I preach. But it also needs to affect the way that you all engage with one another. Do you look down your row and just assume that everybody has the exact same thoughts that you do? Holds the same values you do? Believes the same truth you do? One of the things I would encourage you to do is is to make sure that as you engage with people around you, ask questions. Don't make assumptions. One assumption that we sometimes make 
particularly among people who have been in church for a while, is like, well, my folks are Christians. My grandparents are Christians. I've been coming to this church as a kid for a while, so yeah, I, I guess I'm a citizen of the new creation. But that's not the sense that we get from, Gen- uh, from Mark chapter 3, is it? No, what we have here in Mark chapter 3 is that these men are called, these men are named, these men are sent. Being a citizen of the new creation is not a matter of natural lineage. In fact, it is Jesus' natural family that thinks he has gone insane. It is Jesus' natural family in verse 33 that Jesus rejects. And says, these here who do the will of God, this is my mother and my brothers. Becoming a citizen of the new creation is an act of God's sovereign election. These 12 men were not asked if they wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus did not invite them. Jesus did not plead with them. He summoned them. As their king, he called them. And having been called, Jesus names them. First, he names all of them. He says, all of you guys, you're now what's called an apostle. An apostle simply means one who is being sent. And these men are being sent as his ambassadors. He is the king who is establishing a new creation and they are being sent out to bear witness to it. But then you notice that there's a few of them that he actually gives a different name to. He changes Simon's name to Peter in verse 16. He calls James and John the sons of thunder in verse 17. Many commentators have looked at this passage and said that this is very similar to what Adam does in the garden. Adam names all the animals that God parades before him. Just as Adam is a ruler in that garden, so Jesus is exercising his rule in the new creation by giving these men their names. And I think that's also why we see such radical change and transformation in these men. If you know any of their stories at all, you remember that Peter and his brother Andrew, John and his brother James, they were all fishermen. But when they heard the voice of Jesus, when Jesus called them, when their king summoned them, they left it all behind. Matthew, who is also called Levi, was a tax collector. And when Jesus said, follow me, he left his tax booth never to return again. They are a new creation. They are a new people. They are being gathered together into a new body, into the church. Now, at its best, the church is a diverse gathering of people. Gathered together from all different walks of life, from all over the world. At its best, the church brings very different kinds of people together. Because in the words of one writer, a church is not a group of friends that you have picked. A church is a group of brothers and sisters that God has picked for you. 
It's interesting that among this group of very different disciples, the foundation of the church, the first citizens of the new creation, we have very different kinds of men. Again, we have Matthew, the tax collector. But if you know anything about his story, you know that he was not the favorite person of most Israelites. Because as a tax collector, he would have enriched himself at the expense of his fellow Israelites. He was the picture of collaboration with a Roman occupying force. On the other side of the table from Matthew is Simon, who's called the Zealot. A zealot was a, a Jewish nationalist. He would have been committed to overthrowing the Roman occupying force, even by violence, if necessary. Can you imagine how those dinner table conversations went? And yet, what is Jesus up to? He's bringing together men and women and children from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And friends, the same is true right now, even among us. Here in this room, in this sanctuary, and in churches all across this city and around the world are people that do not look like you. People that don't act like you. People that don't vote like you. But they belong by grace to God because of the work of Jesus for them which is exactly what qualifies you to call them your brother and your sister. Are you a citizen of the new creation? If you're not, if you know that you have not yet bowed the knee to King Jesus, folks, today is the day. Today is the day for you to acknowledge His Lordship. Today is the day for you to submit your life to baptism, to follow after Him. Don't let that question go unanswered in your life another moment. First question, are you a citizen? The second question is, what is the nature of this new creation that Jesus is bringing into being? Well, you can look at verses 14 and 15, and you'll, you'll notice that these apostles, these disciples, these 12 men, they are sent to preach, and they are sent to cast out demons. Now, interestingly, that is exactly what Jesus has been doing. He's been preaching, and he's been casting out demons. And so that means that really what they are doing is expanding Jesus' own ministry. Jesus is ensuring that when he goes away, when he dies, when he rises again, when he ascends into heaven, that there is not just fond memories of him, but there is actually an organization ready to carry that work on. Don't ever believe it if someone tells you that Jesus didn't found a church. It's right here. He is establishing the foundation of the church that has existed ever since. But what I want you to see is the kind of action that Jesus is telling these men to be engaged in. Preaching. And casting out demons. Friends, the nature of the new creation 
This new creation that is being brought about, this kingdom that is being brought about, it is being brought about through hand-to-hand combat. They are going to be at war with the prince of this world. That's what Jesus calls Satan. Our television screens and news feeds are filled with images of war right now. And sadly, whenever there is a war, you can be sure that there are casualties. And none of these men, save one, would die the death of peace. All of them, except John, would die a martyr's death. Most famously, Peter was crucified upside down by the order of Emperor Nero in the city of Rome. And although there are are casualties during war, you also know that there's subterfuge during war. There are traitors during war. And there's a traitor in their midst too. And his name is Judas. And Mark describes him as the one who betrayed Jesus in verse 19. What does all this tell us? There's warfare. There's going to be men who are struck down in their prime. At the very moment that you think God is using them to the greatest effect, they will die. And then there will be one who tries to end it all from the inside. What's God doing here? Folks, one of the things that we have to recognize is that the growth of the kingdom. The establishment of the new creation, it's not always going to look victorious to our natural eyes. We think that if you're victorious, if you're strong, if you're making strides, if things are going your way, we think that victory moves from strength to strength, from conquest to conquest, things getting better every day in every way. Never forget that at the heart of our faith is the confidence that the greatest victory that has ever been effected in human time occurred through the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. It looks like defeat, and yet it is victory. St. Paul the greatest evangelist, the greatest church planter that ever lived. He saw many of the churches that he start turn against the gospel. Men that he ministered with deny the faith until he was summarily executed by having his head cut off. Folks, you and I know That one day every knee will bow to Jesus as King. One day we'll see the foundation of the new Jerusalem as described in Revelation 21. And on that foundation will be the names of 12 apostles. But that day has not yet dawned. And that means that the fight is still on. The irony, of course, is in in those places in the world where It's hardest to be a Christian. That's where the church is growing most rapidly. Is the church growing rapidly in the United States? Not really. 
we're, we're mostly keeping even. Some churches see decline. Some churches see increase. We're mostly keeping even. Why is that? Because it's still relatively easy to be a Christian here. But in other places in the world, sub-Saharan Africa, that's the epicenter of global Christianity right now. And there's no mistaking that it's also the epicenter of violence against the followers of Jesus. The deadliest country for Christians in the world last year was Nigeria. More than 4,000 men, women, and children lost their lives because they believe in Jesus. But folks, despite the fierce warfare against Christ and His church, the gospel there and in other places where it is under attack, it continues to transform hearts and lives, bringing men, women, and children to faith. The nature of this kingdom is one of warfare. But make no mistake, the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. The apostles are sent out. They're sent out to do battle. How are they going to do it? Are they going to raise an army? No. Are they going to work with governments to establish legislation? No. Are they going to try to achieve places of cultural prominence? No. This kingdom, this new creation, it's going to grow through the preaching of the Word. It's going to grow by tearing down the strongholds of darkness in the lives of people who are bound up with sin. Are you a citizen of this new creation? Do you understand the nature of it? What Jesus is doing? The third question, finally and briefly, is what's your role? What place do you play? What part do you engage in? What is your purpose? If you have been called, if you have been named, if you have been sent out by Jesus, what do you do? Look at verse 35. Whoever does the will of God, Jesus says, he is my brother and sister and mother. Sometimes I think as Christians we think that the will of God is mysterious. We don't know what the will of God is for our lives, we sometimes tell other people. Folks, you may not be sent out to preach as an authoritative ambassador of Jesus, but you are called by Colossians chapter 3 to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You are called to teach and admonish one another. You are called to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness of heart. Do you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Are you engaged in one another's lives or are you closed off? Is the church just something that you come and spend 60 to 80 minutes depending on how long the preacher talks? Or is this kingdom, this colony, this outpost, is this a place where you are known and where you know? 
You may not ever cast out a demon, but you are called, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to exercise the gifts of the Spirit for the good of the body. What gifts has God gifted you with? Are you hoarding them? Are you selfish with them? Is your own pain, is your own chaos of your life so overwhelming that you can't even think about reaching out? Friends, that might be exactly the time and the place that God is calling you to step forward. If you've been called as a citizen of the new creation, then that means that you are part of the advance team. You know what that is, right? Anytime a president goes someplace, he always sends out the advance team. Make sure that the buildings are secure. Make sure that everything is ready for his arrival. You are being sent out as the advance team for Jesus. Ensuring that people are ready to meet their king. You are serving right now at an outpost of the new creation. When I was a kid growing up in Saturday mornings, I'd sometimes be at my grandpa's house and there would always be a western on. What were the, the center post of those old westerns? It was the fort out in the wilderness. And it was a place of refuge. It was a place of safety. Are you making this place a place of refuge for people in our neighborhood, for people in our city who are watching their world crumble around them? who are trying to figure out what's going on in society and culture, who are coming to you with questions. Are you a place of refuge and safety? That's part of our mission as a church. Friends, if you are a citizen of the new creation, then you are a member of the colony of heaven. And whenever a nation establishes a colony... That colony is supposed to look like the mother nation. And the people there live by the mother nation's rules. They exercise the culture of that mother nation. And that means that in your life, before a watching world, maybe it's your own family, your friends, your roommates, co-workers, but before a watching world, you are called to demonstrate what it means, what it looks like to belong to Jesus. You can do that. You can do that in a classroom. You can do that in a kitchen. You can do that on the factory floor. You can do that in the office. It doesn't require a black robe to do that. You're going to use your money in different ways because you belong to Jesus. You're going to use your body and you're going to use other people's bodies in a different way because you belong to Jesus. You're going to go out and create beauty in a world that is marred by sin. You're going to shine light in the darkness and you'll pray. You'll pray because you know that that is your greatest weapon. It is your greatest source of strength and comfort. But friends, as much as we care about Aunt Edna's toe fungus, we got to pray about different things. We need to pray against the powers and the principalities and the spiritual forces of evil. Christ 
has called you. Christ has given you his name, you Christian, you. And Christ now is sending you out to do his will in the future that he is creating, to be a witness to his work and to point other people to his glory as you work for their good. I hate to tell you this, but it's dangerous out there. It's deadly, actually. And your enemy roams about like a lion, seeking whom he might devour. Your enemy isn't somebody who votes differently than you. Your enemy isn't somebody who has a a yard sign that you don't like. Your enemy isn't somebody that dresses in a weird way. Your enemy is out for you. And not all of you are going to come back whole. You'll limp. You'll bear the scars of your battle. But you can be assured of this, that having been claimed by your king, you will follow him. He'll take you through suffering into death, but then he will raise you again to everlasting life and glory. Heed his call. Join his people. And friends, do his will. Let's pray. Father, we're scared so often of taking the necessary steps to do the things that you've called us to do. It's easy to let this identity as one who shares Jesus' own name, we can just kind of let it ride, cover it up, not let too many people know. Oh, Father, at whatever risk there is, we pray that you would propel us out. That we would love you and love our neighbor. That we would recognize who our true enemy is. And because of him, that we would work for the good of those around us. Oh, God, give us confidence in this day of battle knowing that the ultimate victory has already been won. And you now call us to walk in Jesus' victory train. It's in his name we pray. Amen.